<laughs> this is getting cut. We're starting over. We're starting over because I just realized I'm implicating myself in a crime. A crime. And and to everybody tuning in right now, this is where the thing starts. So you you don't get to hear about that. But um, completely unrelated. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I've been going through some music lately. And um, it's just interesting to me that there are tracks that are, you know, like, oh, I've always known this song. And then you find out, like, like you've been listening to the three-minute version of what is actually a 10-minute album cut. And, like, you had no idea because it's the only thing you've ever been fed. Yeah. Um, Been finding a lot of those. Probably my favorite one that I... It it unlocked this whole world of music that I didn't even know existed, which is re-recordings. So if you're a fan of of, uh, Taylor Swift... You know, she's re-recording all of her albums right now, but that's not what I'm talking about. She's re-recording them to be sonically accurate to her old albums. This is bands from the 60s and 70s who, for some reason, in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, re-recorded their songs with a completely different orchestration, different band, whole thing. And I found a lot of these songs that, like, um, are re-recordings, but I didn't know that. Mm. So... One of the the key ones for me is a re-recording from like 1974 or 1981 of Archie Bell and the Drells, um, Tighten Up, which is... Tighten Up! That song, the the one that I've had on my iPod for years and years and years, one of my favorite songs, and that version of it, it turns out, is the re-recording, because I found the original version, which is also great, but I found the original version and I was like, oh, I guess, all right, I, I guess that this is a thing that they did. Then I started finding out, like, oh, I had a Herman's Hermits Greatest Hits album. Half of that was re-recorded, apparently. So all the Herman's Hermits stuff that I, I grew up listening to was actually not the Herman Hermits stuff from the 60s. Yeah. And then you go back and you listen to that, and it sounds like it's coming through a tin can. And mm-hmm. it's awful. And you're like, what the hell happened here? Like, I guess they got popular, and then they got money. Yeah. They got that Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter movie um, about the dog. So they had, they had, uh, a lot of... Um the punk genre is like that. Oh, dude, because, punk does it all the time. Because they would record in like 1982. Yes. In their brother's basement. And it would sound shitty. It would sound terrible. And then in like 1996 or whatever, they come out with a, a better one. But now the, the older one is a collectible. Right. Selling for like $6,000 on eBay. Mm. And I don't think the band ever made $6,000 collectively. Right. So you're like, yeah. What? Um, another good one is, and this always makes me mad when this happens, but, um, a lot of times in movies, they'll use the remastered and or re-recorded version of a song Mm. and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 did that with Brandy because the version of Brandy that's in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is the album version, the single, which is what radio stations got. It's what played on the radio when I was a kid. So it's the version I heard. Yeah. That was, um... Basically, like, a stripped-down version of the song. It's got this very cool, like, clavichord or some sort of electric um, piano that sounds really cool. And it's really simple. And it's got the horns, but it's it's subtler. And then you listen to the album version, and it's just, like, sanitized. Overproduced. Yeah. Really well. It's not, it's not bad. It's, yeah. Neither of the versions of the song are bad. It's just a preference of one over the other because I grew up with one of the recordings. Yeah. So I get to the theater and I'm watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and that song comes on and I love that song. And then I'm listening to it and I'm like, it's, there's something about it sounds wrong. And it took me years to figure out that like, oh, the way that bands used to work is we'll get in the studio. Like you said, tin can in my brother's basement. Whatever we can do to make a song, we make the song. That's like almost a demo, but it's considered professional enough that the record companies like put that out as a single. That'll fund the album. Yeah. They put it out as a single. If it gets enough radio play and people keep on requ- requesting it, that generates revenue to the uh, record company. And once you have the re- revenue to do it, you can basically justify putting up the money for an album because you know that enough people have requested the song, they'll buy the album. And then you go into the studio with professionals and you have professional band and you have a whole setup, separate tracks, anything you need. Yeah. And um, by that point, they were doing 16-track recordings in the studio. So it comes out sounding really clean. And the guy's voice is pretty much the same. And you listen to it, and it's it's good, but there's just something about it that, like, it scratches the wrong part of your brain. Yeah. Um, Too digital. No, not even that. It's just that, like, when you, when you listen to one song 50,000 times, and then you listen to a cover version of it, 
And sometimes you'll have a situation like um, My Chemical Romance has that song Cancer. Mm. And then 21 Pilots, who I don't even like, do a, a cover of Cancer for this like rock magazine 10th anniversary of the Black Parade. And it's incredible. It's like better than the original version of Cancer. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there are mixed cases all over the place of of bands doing that. There's also obviously bands who start out, you, you listen to a version of the song and you're like, that's terrible. And then you listen to a remake of it and you're like, oh my God. Um, yeah. Jerry Reed. Jerry Reed does that with uh, Alabama Wild Man. Wild Man. There, yeah, there's two versions of that song. I think they're both amazing. Yeah. Um, the first one is much more country produced. It's a lot of twangy guitar and acoustic guitars being used in, in a way that makes them like the star of the show. And then the second version is like a 1970s overproduced mess and still great. It starts out with yeah. the horns because the first one's like. And then the second version is like. It just starts out with these really heavy horns instead of the guitar. It's like. And then it gets back to him singing the same verse, same words with more energy behind it. And they're both great songs. And he's doing the Jerry Reed like. Cook it. Yeah. Cook it. Yeah. 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 You know. Um. Fucking love Jerry Reed. Shout out Jerry Reed. Yeah, There's, shout out Jerry Reed. You've been dead for quite some time. My, my uncle once said to me, uh, Jerry Reed, that guy lived a hard life. I don't know who he was thinking of. Because I looked into Jerry Reed and it seemed like he was married to the same woman his entire career. Yeah, just a good guy. Sle- slept around stuff like that, but like who didn't who, in who, show business. D- yeah. And um, raised a good family. Did a lot of good stuff. His last uh, 10 years being alive, he was in a bunch of movies. He was in The Waterboy. He's the bad yeah. guy in The Waterboy. He was in Smokey and the Bandit. Smoking the Bandit, Smoking the Bandit too. He did the soundtracks, Eastbound and Down, and also Westbound and Down on the same soundtrack. But everybody forgets about that because in Smoking the Bandit, what's it about? Uh, he's got to get that, uh, that, that that truck across the... Truck of what? I, I, I don't remember. Beer. It was Coors. Coors. For... That was that was real. There were places where um, they couldn't get cores uh, over yeah. state lines, so they would they would send bootleggers basically to go through and and bring the beer, and that was a true story. You can tell not smoking the bandit, but you can tell the cores is is truly cold when the mountain turns blue as the Rockies. You're like what? Thanks, Sam Elliott. <laughs> yeah. What? I I've never liked cores though. I don't know. Yeah, it tastes like piss. Yeah. Um. Not that I know what piss tastes like. Yeah, he does. He does. Any, if anybody but I'll does, I'll never tell. No, he's told me he does. He knows what it tastes yeah, I like. Do. I do. So, anyways, um, uh, yeah, I just I just ruined a little moment for him he rained, that he thought he, rained, he thought he was getting a moment. It's my moment. You rained on my black parade. My moment. I'm the editor. You are the editor. Editor. But um, there's all these uh, interesting things in music where they've done this. There are also like you know cover versions of, of artists who. Uh, it basically like resurrects the artist um, crossover like uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith. Aerosmith was like dying. Yeah. The the guy was constantly on drugs. Uh, Steve. Uh, oh, no, not Steve. Uh, Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler. And um, it, so like they were in the back of the limo at one point in the 80s and um, driving along and song comes on. You See Me Crying, which is an Aerosmith song. And Steven Tyler's like, wow, man, you know, we should do a cover of that song. And Joe Perry turned to him and was like, it's our fucking song. Like, what are you talking about? Like, they were that that fucked up at that point. And then Run DMC comes along and does Walk This Way. Yeah. And they, you know, turn them into a sensation again. Suddenly, Aerosmith is cool. Yeah. You know, brings them right back. Um, and then they had multiple hits after that. Oh, yeah. In, like, the 2000s. There's also, in the, in the 70s, there's a lot of... Um, like artists who wrote songs for disco acts. Yeah. And so you'll hear like Harold Melvin and the blue, uh, blue notes do like, don't leave me this way. And it's this great soul tune, whatever. And then all you have to do is put a little more emphasis on the drums and it's a disco song. And then it's Thelma Houston. And that's a great song too. But it's just like, it's interesting to see the trajectory of music and where it goes and how it comes back around and stuff. That's what fascinates me about it. It's like a giant web. This is a weird comment, but it is in music, so I'll keep on that road. But uh, yeah, sure. I appreciate artists and bands that sing in their native accent way more than I do 
anybody else. I think that that is something that is rare because, like, you'll get a band like Phoenix. Yeah. And they're from France. Yeah. They don't sing in a French accent, but they're great. Well, like the Proclaimers. Yes. They sing in a Scottish accent. Right. And it's great. Uh, so does uh, Arctic Monkeys. You Arctic know, Monkeys. Dubliners. They, they sing The that. Beatles. But, like, why does Adele sound like when she's singing like a southern woman from, uh, you know, like Louisiana? And you talk to her, she's like, hello, mate. Look, how you doing? Iggy Azalea is a big one. Like, she sings, like, she raps way differently than she fucking talks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, ah, no. Shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> um, I, I've never had a problem with Iggy Azalea. I don't know. I don't have a problem with um, her, but, like, I, I appreciate one it more. Last, one last problem. Yeah, Charlie XCX. Um, I have... Uh, more respect for people who sing in their terrible, shitty accents. Oh, I could I could do some amendments on some of the things I said that I found out from my mom were different than I thought. Go ahead, because I could too. Like, yeah, apparently, we're wrong. Uh, apparently, our audience is our moms. Um, <laughs> all two of them. <laughs> all both of them. <laughs> and uh, my mom came back to me while she was listening to the podcast, stopped the podcast, and texted me and said, um, you know, I was listening to the podcast, and... I don't remember leaving you alone at the at the house like that. And I had to explain to her, like, that one totally happened. When I had E. coli, I was at home at my house, and the guy who was there was um, one of my dad's employees. And my dad and, and uh, his wife at the time, my stepmom, they were in St. Martin doing an event. So while I was there, I, I stayed at the house and stuff like that. But my mom tried to take me to grandma's house because I was really sick. This is like seventh grade. And... Everybody at grandma's house was like, get him the fuck out of here. He's going to kill her yeah. because it's E. coli. It's really contagious. And the doctors apparently didn't know that or didn't tell my mom that. So they brought me back and I stayed at the house with my brother uh, or maybe both brothers and um, that guy. And, uh, you know, nothing bad happened or anything. It was just I, I survived. So the thrush was terrible. But so that was the first one. The second one was um, when I got swine flu. Swine flu, apparently, I was at my grandfather's house for the week because I was st- he lived in town. I was staying with him so that I could still go to school and not disturb my mom. And, you know, like, oh, you have to drive down to North Kingstown every morning to bring him to school now and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyways, uh, I basically was at the school building. And my aunt showed up and my mom showed up. My aunt also lived in town. And my mom was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's my aunt, Kate. Don't worry about it, Katie. I'll bring him back to the house. It'll be fine. And when we left, she kind of turned to me and was like, we're bringing you back to your house because, like, I can't bring you back to grandma's. You're too sick. Um, Which was understandable. But then I got there and there's nobody there and no food. And, like, you know, before they left for their trip, like, they had eaten all the good stuff in the fridge and everything. And there wasn't any soup because it was like the beginning of the school year. We didn't have that stuff at the time. Um, so I just like collapsed in my bed. And then my stepmom's friend had to come over and like bring me a care package of soup and Gatorade and stuff. And that was like it. Like my mom just like, all right, well, see ya. And like left me in, on like, you know, in this bed. Yeah. And it was like, all right. It's still at like bunk beds at that point. That's how long ago it was. Just like fucking shivering. Yeah, yeah. Junior in high school and all this. Um, and then the scarlet fever... Um, so I talked about how when I got E. coli, they, they pricked my arm like 10 times and then they were like, we could do a finger prick. It's like, oh yeah. Oh, good. Um, they did that to me when I was a little, little baby in the hospital for oh. scarlet fever. You did it again. I did it again. I so last it was podcast, last podcast, he took these, he took this pepper and you can, you can't even see those on the video. These are pepper seeds. He took that pepper and he, he. I was Ooh. twisting the seeds out, like as, it and could... then he like put it in his eye, and so we I dealt with this last time. Eye. I scratched my eye like twenty minutes after I was done, and I forgot. Right, so now he's done it again, but it's this time with the hand. right eye. I wasn't, doing and this it is a week hand. later. I wasn't doing it with that hand. Ugh. I, I just don't know what to do with you. You're just derailing the podcast. You took off the sunglasses. I thought we was doing. Watch, watch. We're supposed to be different guys. We are different. I'm so different right now. It's the right eye. Yeah, hide left. hide that so that they don't have to see you. Yeah. Jesus. We're good. We're, we're, we're all good now. The um, thing with the vein apparently happened to me when I had scarlet fever, but I was three. 
and oh. they just kept stabbing my arm and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And then I guess my mom just said to them, like, look, I was already over it or I was I was treated already. They were just trying to get a, a sample because like for medical research. And um, my mom said, look, you've already tested him. We got the medication. We're, we're going. And yeah. They just took me and left and they were just both of them livid because it's like, what the fuck are they doing to him? Like they just kept on stabbing me. I was like yeah. three. So, um, yeah, I also found out apparently my aunt had scarlet fever when she was very young. But it is. It's one of those things that like you don't get. Like people don't get that. So I don't know. Um, I like this format more because we can do stuff like this and cut in and be like, hey, yeah, uh, here's something from uh, an episode that we did that like was, you know, either incorrect or uh, what was the name of the Kevin Robinson? Kevin Robinson was the name of the BMX biker. He was from uh, East Providence. Most likely it was him. And he was a really cool guy. He passed away in, in I think, 2017, which is a real shame. Uh, yes. he, he set a bunch of records. He was a, a big guy in the BMX world. So I'm sad that I didn't know who he was at the time or that I, I didn't know later. But uh, really cool of him to take time out of his day and then come down and be like, I stopped at Alley's Donuts. And everybody's just like, yeah. yeah. The greatest person we've ever met. It's the closest to Tony Hawk we ever got. I talked about the Gravity Games. You did. Okay. So, yeah. So my, yeah, my mom was like, uh, I don't remember being, uh, my mom is Irish. I don't remember the crows in the school, Ricky. I'm like, you weren't there, right? (laughs) Right? You weren't in the school with me. You just sent me to this fucking ornitharium where I could learn some math. That was pretty much the only thing. Like she's, I don't remember the crows. I'm, I'm pretty sure we already also talked about the uh, Autobahn Society where I almost died. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My mom just like putting me on the table in the nature's classroom, just like, uh, I don't, uh, look, they were our, they were our ride, man. We gotta wait. <laughs> yeah, <you're> just, <sighs> yeah, just <sighs> call an Uber. Yeah, that hasn't uh, been invented yet, Benny. What, wasn't invented. Invented. And we were over the Newport Bridge. There were all these things when I was a kid that were pitched to me as like, it's too much money. We can't do that. Going over the bridge to Newport. We talked about this because you were like, oh, it's eight bucks to get over. It's like a dollar. I thought it was like four bucks going over, four bucks coming back. If you pay cash. Well, yeah. But if you have an easy pass and you do all this stuff. But if you don't have the easy pass. By now, if you don't have an easy pass, you're an idiot. Hot takes. Hot takes. Because everybody in every state in New England uses Easy Pass, so you can go. Yeah, uh, I can I go from here to Jersey, get off in Jersey, and my tolls will all be through Easy well, Pass. Well, there was a while there when I was living out in the middle of the country, and I'd come back here to visit family, and then like, you're just fucked for eight bucks if you go over the the bridge. Right. So like, that's what I was referring to. That's fair. Um, but so like going over the bridge was one. Yeah. Oh, it's too expensive. We can't go there. We got to pay the toll to get over the bridge. Don't want to do that. And at the time, they were coins. You'd buy for 10 yeah, bucks, like you'd token. buy a sleeve of them. I still have one. Yeah. Um, and then, um, like, parking. Parking at the mall and stuff. My mom would park on that street across the street from where they do water fire. Um, right across the street from the mall is a street that goes straight down, kind of winds. There's a water place restaurant and stuff over there. Goes up to the Capitol. No, 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 no. no. The other, other, other straight across from when you're in the okay. food court looking out at the river. Providence like that Place way. Mall. Yeah, Providence Place Mall. Okay. Um, and so uh, we would we would go over there. We'd park on the street and then we'd walk into the mall. And all those years, I'm like, oh, we're saving so much money. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'm an adult. They did change the policy at the mall. It used to be $2 for the first six hours. And now it's like. The first three hours is zero dollars, and then after that's two, and then after that's five, ten goes up incrementally. Well, I uh, became an adult and was like, "Oh, I want to go to the mall, but it's so expensive." And then I went there, and even then, like the prices for parking were nothing. Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh, it's it's because my mom smoked. Like she, yeah, it, that was her cigarette money." It, it's like those so things. Like, oh, all right. It's like those things they tell you when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, if you turn on the light in the car while you're driving... Oh, that's illegal. You're going to crash. Yeah, that... Oh, that's what you were told? Yeah. Oh, I was told straight up it's illegal. They'll pull you over. Yeah. Like... Which, then, like, the only time that that light was ever used was if the passenger in the car was looking at a book or a map. Yeah. That was it. And, like, I wouldn't be comfortable driving around with the lights on in the car anyways because they reflect off the windows. 
No, I don't turn them on. No, like, dude, you don't. But like, as a kid, anyway, like, you know? the reasoning for it's never actually why. Yeah, they just tell you a lie, and then they're like, all right. It's, it's easier and quicker to tell a kid a lie that's going to, like, scar them a little bit. If you crack your knuckles, you're going to get arthritis. Well, you're going to get arthritis because you broke both your fucking arms like a fool. But, you know. Ugh. Got to get the pinky. That's getting cut. It should be. Can I get a good one? Can I get a good one? Can I... Like I said, I'm just a reminder that inside of all of us is a skeleton. Yes. And you say that with a smile like you're proud of it, and that's uh, concerning to me. Well, we should all know. We're all just a bunch of bones. What do you think is, is clanging against the table? The, the meat on the hands? No, it's the, it's the bones. It's the bones, Ricky. This is Don't Start Me Talking. This is Don't Start Me Talking. We're starting again. <laughs> uh, no. um, but, uh, yeah, so those are corrections. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, Alan Sean Feinstein was exactly what I said. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I looked into it afterwards, and that's that's true. Um, Ryan Cabrero is exactly like I said, too. Yeah. He was there um, at some point. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could talk about another... Uh, another series of assemblies that I'll kind of, I'll try to condense down before you do bad that, assemblies. Before you do that, cause I'm going to forget. Um, can I talk about Kennedy Plaza real quick? Would you like that? Would that make you happy? The peppers have gone from my eyes. Tell us about Kennedy Plaza. First of all, tell us your relationship to Kennedy Plaza and then so, tell us the stories that you got. All right. So because, um, let me tell you folks, he went through some shit. I've got stories. Right? Yeah. All right. So uh, uh, let me let me start it off just to give you a little bit of context as quickly as possible. Rick worked in North Kingstown at the job lot that is um, over by uh, the Ace Hardware in town. To get there, Rick lived in Providence at the time. He'd have to take the bus. So he'd take the bus from Providence down to North Kingstown to catch that bus to 66, right? The 14. Oh, the 14. So you went the other way. You went down Post yeah. Road. Yep. Oh, all right. Well, that makes more sense. To get to the 14, you got to go to Kennedy Plaza, right outside the mayor's office in Providence. If you've ever seen the skyline of Providence, all those buildings are in Kennedy Plaza. Um, like that big Superman building that's not the Superman building. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. And uh, the mayor's office is right there. And like two weeks ago, uh, Mayor Smiley, or as I call him, Mayor Frowny. Hot takes. Uh, Mayor Smiley had them crack down on a bunch of drug dealers and stuff that were hanging around there and preying on people. They um, were. And cleaned, cleaned it up considerably in the last couple of weeks, apparently. However, you can't wash all the stink out. Can't wash all the stink That's out. the context of, of what he's about to tell you. He went there every day. He was a regular commuter. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Took the bus, you know. And so I'm in Kennedy Plaza, and this uh, was in 2020. So, like, everything's gone to shit. Um, there was basically no policing up there. So, like, everything was just... It was a free-for-all in Kennedy Plaza, which already, like, even before 2020, didn't have the best reputation for being, like, a great place to be, right? You don't want to go there at night. You'd hear that a lot with people, like, uh, around the city or in, in the state. Like, oh, I wouldn't go there at night. I wouldn't go there at night, you know? Like, it, it's not a great place to be. Uh... So the first thing I saw when I was in Kennedy Plaza in 2020 um, is, unfortunately, there's a lot of syringes in the grass because Kennedy Plaza is a big bus hub, like a big circle, and the buses park at different stops and you, you go on about your way. But in the middle there, there's a park with children, which you want syringes to be a part of, right? So uh, there would be a bunch of syringes in the grass, and I saw this happen one day while I was going to work at like 7 a.m. They would bring the big uh, lawnmower, like the sit-down riding lawnmower, and just like, you know, mow the, mow the grass, which you should, right? Mow the grass for the park. The kids can play. But they just ran over the syringes. So they're just spraying metal bits of syringes and like medical waste all over the fucking park. And I saw that happen multiple times. So I was like... All right, man, I'm not going to fucking, you know, walk through there with sandals on, I guess. 
you know, kids were. And then, um, let's see, what's the other one? Oh, yes. One day, uh, this was like in around winter of uh, 2020. I'm still taking the bus down, still working that uh, retail job. And um, behind bus stop Z, which is where I would catch the 14 every day, is a big statue. You know, it's multi-tiered. You can sit on it, you know, read a book, do whatever you're going to do. This person wasn't reading a book. What were they doing? What were they doing? Oh, so it was two people. And uh, they were sitting there, you know, as you do, reading a book. Not really. And I turn around. I'm just like standing there at the bus stop. You know, it's pretty cold in the morning. You know, I got my Dunkin' and I'm like, you know, looking around. And I, 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 do, I do this. I pull one of these. <laughs> and behind me is a little person sitting there. And I go, oh, hey. You know, like, that's something. Like, yeah. But next to him is a lady. And so, like, I, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm still looking around. It didn't really, like, catch me at first. But then I look over again, and I'm like, because this little person is sitting there, and he's shooting heroin intravenously. Mm-hmm. It's either that or he's, like, a diabetic. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Sure. But that's not the weirdest part about this. Um... He was getting a fellage. Yeah, at the same time. A fellatio at the same time from this woman as he's shooting up. And it's like 7.15 in the morning. <laughs> it's 28 degrees with wind chill, you know? And I, I had to sit there and like, it, 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 it's like a car crash. You can't look away, but you don't want to look, you yeah. know? And like, I sit sitting there like, that's one thing that probably has never happened before ever right that's one thing that's like you know unique to my right. experience that Which like nobody the... else saw nobody was at the bus stop yeah there was like a people milling about but i don't think they saw right i saw it for some reason and now you know it which is the great thing about, uh, you know, being in a place like Kennedy Plaza is you get to see things literally you'd never see. Oh, I saw fights. Yeah. I saw arguments every day. Um, like, it's right outside of City Hall, too. Like also, the mayor's I, office. I just want to say, sorry for adjusting the camera. I was just testing something out, and uh, the thing that I wanted to test out didn't work the way that I thought it would work. Didn't so, work. So, um, good thing I tested it so that in a real situation, it wouldn't be a problem. This, but there's a, a part a where they're just looking at... Your guard sucks. Oh, good. Shirt, so. Good. It does. But yeah, Kennedy Plaza. Kennedy Plaza, yeah. Uh, so it, it's That's a wonderful... I, I forgot about that one. That's a wonderful tale of yours. Because like, yeah, where the fuck... What? First of all, what? Like, it's it's not like a closed area. It's yeah. like a public open it, it's forum. Open. It's open. It, it looks right like... Right outside the mayor's office. Like, literally, it, you could at throw the end, Yeah, at the end of Kennedy Plaza is the mayor's office yeah. on one side. And on the other side, it's uh, what? Like, office buildings and stuff yeah, like that. Uh, like, Brown and shit is yeah, very Brown, close by. Brown, Brown University is um, really close by. Providence is a small city. Yeah. Oh, you tiny. Know, everything, you know, is walk- walkable. But, yeah, that's, that, that's the highlight of my time there. And... um. Seeing that raised some questions. Number one, why? Yeah. yeah. It's 28 degrees outside. How do we live that guy's life? You know, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know. that that Because part of me was like, what the fuck are you doing? And part of me was like, ah, man, you get it. You know? Like, I, yeah, I guess. I, know? I don't know. I, like, I'm not a heroin guy. but I mean, Neither I, am I. I don't know. You know, I was just like, you know, I guess if you're doing heroin, might as well get a fillet. You know? Might as well. Might as well get a fellage on the statue. I think it's like Roger Williams or something. It's It's got to be somebody famous. It might not be Roger Williams, but it, yeah. it probably is. But also, as I said before, there are children present. So like, what? Yeah, like, what are you doing? What are we? And again, there was no policing around that time. Right. So like, there's open drug use and there's like open sex acts like that all the time and fights and everything. There, there was like, I, I saw a cop go by once and he was kind of doing that thing like, like, I'm not, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Yeah. I'm not look Like, there was people sleeping on the steps of the mayor's office. Yeah, they Just put like, a stop to that. Yeah. But, like, help them. Yeah. Right? Help them? Like, what, what better political statement is there than literally homeless people 
sleeping on the steps and the, the mayor being like, yeah, get them out of here. They're, they're yeah, really get them cheapening up the get them property here. value down here in yeah. downtown Providence. Get some fat Irish crop. Like, all right, folks, move along. Move yeah. along. Then we, we've here. gotten, what, two false alarms in the last month of like, oh, active shooter in Providence, and neither of them were real. Yeah, there's a lot of stabbings, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was... Uh, I was living on off of West, Westminster Street there. Yeah. When um, a drive-by happened, and they shot into my house. I was on the second floor. They shot into the first floor, and then crashed their car at the end of the street. Into that fence. Into the metal fence. The metal fence. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was just, what street were you on? What was that? Bridgem. Bri- Bridgem yeah, Street. Bridgem. It's a it's like a little cross section uh, off of Westminster. I was right next to Ogie's Trailer Park. Ray's Shout Liquors out. on the corner. Shout out Ogie's. Shout out Ray's Liquors. Reyes, I thought that they were uh, awesome when I went in yeah, there. Yeah, they're great. They, they also had, like, you could go in there and get just a Snapple, or yeah. you could get, like, a, a root beer. Yeah, and, awesome like, good old, stuff. Awesome little bodega there. Yeah, reasonably yeah. priced, too, for the middle of the city. Yeah, dude. Like, it was... um, Compared to, like, Broadway liquor, which it didn't make any sense. It's like, you're one street away. You're going to charge $20 for something they charge 5 you know, is, like, 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 That's what I mean. It's so small, but there are those areas of where, like, mm. they you know, gentrified the fuck out of the place. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, when I told uh, my family that I was moving to Providence, and they were like, where are you moving? Yeah. And I was like, uh, off of Westminster. They were like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oh, no, you can't go around. And there there are places, like, there's a park not too close to, uh, not too far, uh, pretty much between where you lived and where I lived. Yeah, uh, Dexter Training Ground, right? That, that yeah. whole Dexter Park. Yeah. And at 11 o'clock, I would not go there. Right. At night, because... Well, right, so right after I moved from there, I used to live on Willow Street, which is right across the street from there. When I stopped living there, all of a sudden, there was a big homeless population over there because they opened up the armory building, which is at the end of the training grounds. It's like a big castle in in Providence. Um, They opened that up to the homeless for the winter as like a, you know, because they were freezing to death. Yeah. So... um, It gets cold here. Right. And in Providence... I, I moved out of that place in November. And when I moved out of it, literally, like, that day, there was a stabbing right right on my street, like, yeah. right down the street from where I was. And um, then it was just week after week, I'd just hear more and more about, like, oh, another stabbing near the, the armory and this and that. And I wasn't sure if it was, like, this always happened and I just wasn't paying attention to it or if the media kind of went after that area because they wanted yeah, the homeless yeah, to get out of there. Yeah, that's, um, that's probably why. Well, yeah, that's that's what I kind Some of assumed was bullshit. happening. Like, they should freeze, not stab each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to a vigil outside that building um, that was for... Um, it's It sucks that I don't even remember which club it was for, but um, there was a shooting at a, a LGBTQ club and I went out to like stand in vigil with all the people. And this is like November or maybe October of last year. First really cold day of the year. The ground had frozen. It's really uncomfortable being there and like standing around and stuff. And then um, they started talking and it was like the most unorganized vigil you've ever been to where random people just were called up to talk and none of them seemed to be on the same page about what they were talking about. So like one of the first ones that came up was this, um, these two people, um, both of them seemed uh, to be trans. I'm not sure. Um, but one of them had like a med kit on her back and the other one had the microphone and they're talking about like, we have to stand up and fight. We have to be ready to fight. Get your, your med kits, uh, learn about emergency response. Um, make sure that, you know, first aid in a crisis situation, cause they will not protect us. They're not yeah. going to protect us, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But, like, really militant, like, calling people to fight Yeah. at a vigil. We're holding candles in a cold field. Which, like, I can see the point. You should know how to, like, handle... For sure. But nothing like that was happening around here at the time for them to be like, you know, these fucking pigs. And it was just, like, yeah. super aggro. And, like, they, they came out and everybody was really quiet and just like, what the fuck? Then this other guy came out. And he's talking about how I'm an ally. You know, my daughter is trans. I like been working with the LGBTQ community uh, for, you know, 30, 40 years or something like that. And, um, you know, our doors are always open to anybody who needs help, that sort of thing. This other guy comes out and he's talking about how one of his best friends, because he's like the elder gay of the group, he's like a 70 year old gay guy. Yeah. Came, you know, right up to the front and he's like, listen, I, you know, I don't tell this story very often. 
And he just told us this story about his friend who was brutally, brutally murdered in Providence and then hung up like a scarecrow on the fence outside of the armory. And when they found the body, the police were like, well, it's a suicide. Yeah. R- ruled that a suicide. That's a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, actually, that, that happened. Let's go into true crime real quick. Uh, that happened a lot with like uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer case. Yeah. The cops were called to his place multiple times, but then the cops would be like, ill gay, and then, like, leave. And, like, they left... They they gave uh, one of the victims back to Jeffrey Dahmer, who had, like, a drill in his head. He had poured bleach into the hole and stuff like that already. So he's, like, mumbling around. And Jeffrey Dahmer comes out and is like, well, we're gay, and uh, he's drunk, and we fought. And the cops were like, doesn't explain the blood, but okay, go on back. Yeah. Gross. I I uh, have never looked into Jeffrey Dahmer. Good. I know nothing about him. I I know absolutely nothing. They put out that series last year, and I, I was like, "Fuck this!" I'm not uh, like I I know enough about Ted Bundy. I know enough about uh, a few of the a few of the big killers. John Wayne Gacy. A little bit about John Wayne Gacy. He hid kids under the house. He killed. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a clown. The clown, yeah. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy, I remember. Um, so there's like a few here or there, but like Jeffrey Dahmer, I just heard like, oh, that dude was a monster, and I'm like, good enough. Don't need to. I don't yeah. need to tear into the fucking life story of people like that. Because like, it, this is all fairly recent too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This happened like twenty eight years ago now. Yeah. Like ninety four, right? So like twenty nine years ago. Like it's all fairly recent, and there. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I've been on a real true crime kick. And um, I watched The Jinx yes. about the life and death of Robert Durst. I watched a movie called um, There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Hmm. And I watched um, I'll See You in the Dark, I think it's called. Did you did you get the title when you looked her up? I did not. Michelle McNamara, who yeah. is Patton Oswalt's uh, first wife. And um, I watched these shows and a couple others, but I, I don't remember exactly which ones I watched. Maybe they'll, they'll pop back into my head. But... The most exploitative one that I saw was definitely There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Yeah. That movie is, as somebody who has gone through having a family in, in like member in a bad legal battle, that movie made me so anxious and mad. Mm. If you never heard this story, uh, this woman was a uh, mother. She was a pretty nice lady. Everybody knew her and liked her. And then they were on a camping trip with, it was her, her husband, her nieces, and her son, and her daughter. And all of the kids climbed into her car to go home from the campground to wherever they lived in New York. And then all of a sudden, nobody could find them. And uh, there were a few calls made to the family, and then that was it. Basically... This woman drove into oncoming traffic and just completely obliterated this other car, knocked another car off the road. So three car accident killed eight people, including herself. Um, she died. All the kids in the car except for her son died. And then these uh, other three guys, a father and, and I think his two sons, they all yeah. died in in the other crash. The way that this documentary is done and the way that it's unfolded is they're following the family and the documentarians are like six months after this happened they started recording yeah and the kid is still he's got a brain injury and he wears glasses now which he didn't have to before and he got real messed up from the accident nothing but sympathy for that kid of course yeah the father devastated had no I didn't see this coming. Apparently they had a really good trip. Nobody fought. It wasn't like a big fight or anything like that. All that the kid was able to tell them was mommy had a headache. Mommy couldn't see. And then the accident happened. She had some sort of medical emergency, they think, and died. But her toxicology came back that she was like fucked up on alcohol. So point one nine or it was like point one oh and the or uh point one yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it was like 0.19 or something. Yeah. And the legal limit's like 0.08. Yeah. So she was fucked up. There was a bottle of vodka that smashed in the front of the car that they found. So the assumption is that she had been drinking. Yeah. She 
somehow got that bottle into her car from the RV because it was usually stowed in the RV for just like, you know, nighttime when you're out on a camping trip, you know, whatever. And um, the husband drove the RV back and she drove the truck or the van with all the kids. Well, the toxicology, you know, was done by the state. They immediately ruled it as, you know, it's it's a DUI and death resulting and all this stuff. But she was dead by that point. So you don't get. Um, her side of the, like, yeah. Right. Uh, all they have is video footage of her from earlier in the day and a few 911 calls from people who either followed her, were almost hit by her, or, you know, saw her driving around. Yeah, motorists. And there was something wrong. Nobody could figure out what it was. There was a point where they got out of the car, all the kids on the side of the road, and um, I don't know if she got sick or what, but she left her phone there and got back in the car and they kept going, and then the crash happened. This documentary follows the family, her family, and talks to some of the other victims because there was another whole family involved. And um, from the point of view of the family, they're like, we we need to get this ruled out. We need to figure out what the deal is with the testing, this and that. They hired this lawyer who hired an investigator. The investigator ghosted them. Apparently, they ran out of money to pay him, and he just held on to the results. Um, Tried to call them to give them the results under the guise of like, oh, I have results for you when he was really trying to get money from them. So they ignored him. And then they found out later that like, because they ignored him, he like just, you know, tuned out and was like, fuck him. Don't care. Yeah. Um, but what he found out was that from an outside investigator who tested the DNA sample, the alcohol level was accurate. So they got like double confirmation in the documentary that she definitely was drunk. Like whatever she was trying to treat, if she had a migraine or something crazy that she's trying to drink away, that doesn't justify it. No, you know no, what I mean? Like you shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car even if you have a migraine. Right. But this um uh family member of theirs and it's the sister-in-law to he just jumped up and fell. It was very funny. Um it's the sister-in-law to the father. Yeah. Not even his sister. His brother's wife gets super involved in their family. Starts like raising the kid comes over every day and then starts telling the husband, like, you don't appreciate everything that I do for you. And you got it so easy and this and that. And the guy is working night shifts every fucking night. So she's going into, you know, oh, I'm the only one who cares for this boy. And he needs to know his mommy wasn't a killer. And it's like, okay, that might be the case. And you can tell him that and you can make sure that he knows his mom's not a killer. Yeah. But she made a terrible mistake. Yeah. And it resulted in eight people's deaths, including hers. Hmm. So she didn't get off scot-free. No, no. And it wasn't a suicide thing as far as they know. No. It was just an irresponsible series of decisions that led to a lot of people dying. Yeah. And that is not fair to any of them. No. But this woman is like on the fucking dad. And like, we got to keep pursuing. We got to keep doing this and that. Drags him onto Larry King live with the lawyer. And the Larry King's going, how do you explain the bottle of vodka? And they're like, well, we, that's the part we can't explain. And, like, all this shit and, like, speaking for him. If you watch all the interviews with them where it's her and him, like, the dad and, and his sister-in-law, she's, like, the worst presence to have around that because she's obsessed. And yeah. now she's also ingrained in their lives and stuff. It was the worst, most exploitative documentary I've ever seen. So that's the sad thing about a lot of true crime. Um, there's, like, a couple uh, podcasts I listen to. One of my favorites is... Uh, True Crime Garage. Shout out True Crime Garage. Um, they're more of like bringing th- attention to like cold cases yeah. and things that like, you know, wouldn't get new the attention details otherwise. and stuff like they've actually helped like with their net, not their network, their fan base. Right. Like people calling tips. And I would say that if they if they're doing cold cases, if they're doing stuff that isn't settled yet, I am all for them tearing yeah. that case open and giving it a wider yeah, uh, but spotlight. For, but for like Netflix to do like Jeffrey Dahmer again, dude. Right. Like we all know what happened. It's it's closed. I don't. The case is closed. You don't. But like. Yeah, yeah. But if you wanted to know about it, everybody you can. know it's out there. Yeah. Everybody knows what happened. Right. We've caught the guy. He's done. Yeah. Got killed with like a broomstick and in, in, in the shower or something like that. Sure. Like, we know what it is. You're just doing it to like you know, make money. Right. And the people who like whose family members died are still alive and they're yes. young. 
Yeah. They're young, too. They were I like, know. They were like 20 in 1994. Well, the, they they did a recreation of a part in court where one of the victim's uh, family members screamed at Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. and they like did a recreation of that? And it's yeah. like, dude, you're just... Like, for the... Not the documentary, for the um, biopic. Yeah. Uh, with what's-his-face, Boner. Oh, Boner is, from uh, Evan Agatha. Peters. Evan Peters. R- Ralph Boner. Saw him in New York once. Um, Which, uh, yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, I don't like the, that part of true crime uh, that is exploitative like that because, like, you can tell right away, like, why people are doing this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, and it's usually just, like, a paycheck. Somebody is paying them and they're in. I watched um, Paradise Lost. Actually, before I get into Paradise Lost, just really quickly, I love the Jinx, and we've talked about the Jinx a lot. The Jinx is great. But, like, now that I've found out that the ending was kind of manipulated, it does cast a lot of doubt on it, because why not just play in order exactly what he said? Yeah. It's it's not as damning, that's why. Mm. Um, Because if you go onto Wikipedia, you can look this up. If you've ever seen the end of the Jinx, spoiler alert for the Jinx. Which is an amazing documentary. You should absolutely watch it. Six episodes. It's great. Robert Durst was a wealthy kid who was from a family that owned, like, the World Trade Center at one point. They owned big buildings in Manhattan, the Durst Organization, Durst Corporation, one of those. Yeah. Um, his father was a guy who built a, a huge empire of money. His brother, who was younger than him, ended up taking over that empire. So Robert Durst, even though he was not interested in doing any of that stuff felt like really slighted and he was also just a fucking crazy person Mm. so he um allegedly but we're pretty sure killed his first wife hid the body they've never found her body uh and he definitely killed his neighbor killed his neighbor morris black but hid the head so they couldn't prove that it wasn't self-defense because the gunshot that killed him was from his head yeah so they couldn't prove that it wasn't self-defense which is what dick DeGaron, greatest lawyer of all time argued in court and got him off on it then he got caught in this web with the filmmakers for the Jinx, where they found this letter that he had written to Susan Berman, another victim of murder, and the letter matches a letter that was sent to the police telling them cadaver at her house. Beverly Hills, and he wrote Beverly wrong. Right. And the funny thing about all that, they did, he didn't even need to write them the letter for them to find her, because no. somebody reported that her door was open on Christmas Day, Yeah, and that's what sent people over to find her that day. Yeah. So he sent this letter that came by snail mail three days later or whatever, and it completely implicated him. And it didn't happen until 20 years later, so but it totally did. A, a lot of times that's what happens is they just fuck up. Mm. They do something stupid and they fuck up like uh, BTK. Yeah. Um, buying Torture Kill. He's in Topeka, Kansas for like he started in the, in the 70s, uh, went on like a 10 year hiatus of not killing and torturing people. And then they came back in the late 90s, and they caught him in, like, 2005. Right. But the way they caught him is not police work. He just fucked up. Yeah. Um, So it's really stupid, actually. Uh, Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, uh, was working at a church, and he had the floppy disk from the the computer in the church with all his details on it, like when you put in the computer, login, all that. And he sent a letter to the police, and he was like, can you trace me through a floppy disk? And the police were like, no. <laughs> and he sent them a floppy disk, and that's how they fucking caught him. Yeah. Like, stupid shit like that all the time. They're yeah, stupid yeah. people. They try to make these people out to be like, you know. The like, arch, oh, they're masterminds. Arch, it's it's just that they, they're the stupid. police have not turned over the right leaf is the yeah. only thing. And then once they do, they're like, you fucking kidding me? Uh, like almost yeah. every time, but so um, that the Jinx is a good documentary. The ending is a little bit iffy, but the end of it is that they catch him in that lie on camera, hot mic, and he has a very bad reaction to it. And that alone, to me, is is pretty damning. But like forensic evidence and everything else, they could have figured out that it was his letter. They could have figured out it was his writing. All this yeah. stuff because they had all that. He died in prison of COVID. Yes, but he got arrested on a gun charge in Los. Uh, no, not loss. Um, Louisiana, Louisiana, New Orleans. New Orleans. He was passing through New Orleans with a gun, and they caught him. And um, then they dragged him back to prison so that they could put him on trial for Susan Berman's death. Anyways, that's a really good documentary because of how in depth it goes and how well it, it yeah. highlights this case that wasn't solved at the time. Mm. 
and that the end of the documentary itself became a part of the case. And that's fantastic. Then you get into I'll See You in the Dark, that Michelle McNamara one about the Golden State Killer, who was also the East Area Rapist, a bunch of other names. The most they prolific. Found, yeah, they like. found that guy because one of his relatives did a DNA test. Yeah. And they, they matched it to the family, and they figured out through the database that, like, oh, this is somebody in the family. And then they, they camped out at his house. And they went through his garbage, and they got a matching DNA sample that matched and they, everything. they got, like, a skull out of his flower pot or something like that. And then a year later, after they got him, they did a follow-up episode that I never saw before. I just found it this year. And he's in court, and he admits to all of it. Yeah. He, he, like, which fucked up that he did any of it, but at the very end, at the very least, gave the families the closure of saying, I'm the one who did it. I deserve whatever I'm going to get. Yeah. And he's still in prison. He he faked, oh, I'm walking with a cane and everything. And he got up onto his bed, climbed up onto the table, and he's putting things up to hide all the light because he doesn't like light. He'd hide the TVs and the houses and stuff. But they nailed him. He was a former cop and all this stuff. That's another example of, like, that documentary, I think, was necessary. It was yeah. happening at the... Concurrently, her investigation was happening. And then she passed away in 2016, which was horrible. Patton... Uh, Oswald, her husband, got together a bunch of people to help finish, sent the stuff where it needed to go, and they got right up to the end of the investigation, and then the cops fucking caught him. And just, like, you know, validated everything that she was trying to do. After, and, like, 50 years, too. Yeah. This was a, a like, a, a this long, was like, this long was like time. a Zodiac, this was like a Jack the Ripper, like, we're never gonna find him. Like, and was, one of the, one of the nieces of his that lived with him for a while said, as soon as I left, the killing spree started up again. And, yeah. like, now that we, we know that it was because I was there, he wasn't doing any of that stuff. And yeah. then when I left, he just started right back up. Um, that's necessary. Paradise Lost, the ultimate in, in documentary uh, investigative journalism because Paradise Lost is the story of the West Memphis Three who were three kids from Arkansas who dressed in black two of them dressed in black listened yeah. to metal the other one I didn't even know if he was their friend he was an acquaintance he was so this Je uh, Jesse Miss Kelly Miss Kelly yeah Miss Kelly um, and Damien Eccles and the other one yeah the other guy the other unfortunately guy. the other guy just got roped in yeah. and it's like not it, it, Anyways, they were three kids who got a triple murder pinned on them, which was, like, one of the most brutal. If you are, like, you get sick easily, you can't look at disturbing images, don't watch Paradise Lost. It yeah. starts out with the video footage of the cops finding the bodies, yeah. and it's raw. So this is... Like, the rawest of... Like, I... Here's the thing. I watched this documentary, and I sat through the whole thing, and it's disgusting. It is. But it should be. Yeah. It should shock the shit out of you that they're allowed to show this, that they did show this, that any of this stuff is even in here because it's a crime. These yeah, people yeah. were murdered. Yeah. You should be horrified. And also the West Memphis, the West Memphis three, those three guys, uh, Jesse Miss Kelly, um, Damian Eccles, and unfortunately the other guy, I don't remember his name. That was a miscarriage of justice. This totally. Is, this is one time in uh, numerous times when a satanic panic was going through a town, the U.S. Yeah. And they basically got, like, roped in and put into, like... Uh... There were a bunch of perceived things that were Satanist yeah. happening in the town. Yeah. And Damien Eccles was a kid who... He was Catholic most of his life. And then he started talking to his pastor about, like, he you know, like, Satanic shit. Yeah, got into Wicca. And then he and his friends... Uh, he and his friend really would hang out together and listen to, you know, Iron Maiden and Metallica and stuff like that and yeah. darker music... And so people just thought, like, oh, obviously, if, if he's a suspect, he did yeah. it. And then they, they poisoned the well of um, the, the whole community. Like, yeah. There was no way he's getting a free, like, a, a good... Uh, but they ended up roped in. They ended up uh, getting um, an convicted. Alfred. Oh. But then an Alfred plea. Which 18 years later? 18 years later. Something crazy. Something that pisses me off is the fact that an Alfred plea exists. Yeah. Because an Alfred plea basically is like, okay... Um, we didn't do it. We're going to let you go. Right. But you're also saying that the state had enough evidence to convict, which the, they fucking didn't. Yeah. Their, their argument was basically that like, look, we can't pin this on anybody else, even though it's very likely it was one of the stepfathers, uh, a guy named Terry Hobbs. It was very likely that there was a guy in a chicken place outside of town who just showed up. Did it. And no, then... no. 
he he walked into the chicken place covered in blood and mud. These kids were found at the bottom of a estuary. Yeah, tied up in shoelaces. It's very brutal. Don't watch it if you're shaking. If if you are not good with true crime stuff and you are not good with violent, like if you've seen images of things like the Holocaust or, or 9-11 or stuff like that and you're like, oh, I can't, don't watch the documentary. Just look it up. It's it's a very, it's a necessary case everybody needs to know about, but it's very hard to watch. But I feel like yeah. all true crime should be that way. It should. If you're watching true crime, you should basically, like, you should be so into this that looking at this stuff you're sort of desensitized to it but it should shock you back into yeah. like oh my god um i watched all three episodes of paradise lost and the first episode is them when they're kids and mm. it happens as it's happening then they get put in jail yeah the second episode is 10 years later or whatever and they're still stuck there but now they have the support of a lot of people in hollywood who are like come on these guys yeah. they didn't do anything it, circumstantially they were all at school that day like they couldn't have done it at the yeah. time that it was said to have been done. Um, and then, you know, there's like all this they stuff. They just got that, railroaded. Yeah. And this is you, th you think it's this chicken guy? They don't even talk about that so in the documentary. So th there was a, a chicken restaurant outside of the town, and um, they called it in. It's on the records. Yeah. The, they were like, hey, um, so we just had some guy walk into our bathroom. He was covered in mud and what looked like blood. Mm. And it's all over the bathroom. Um do you guys want to do something about that? And yeah. they just didn't come out or they didn't like look into it or like the restaurant cleaned it before they came in, but they were going after these three guys just because they were uh, satanic. Yeah. And like they end up getting railroaded. And this is the important part of this documentary and this story is don't talk to the police. If you're ever brought into the room and they're like, Hey, we got to talk. And people be like, well, if, if you have nothing to hide, you don't have to worry, right? No, you do. Because, like... Their their job is to put somebody behind bars for the crime. Yeah. To appease the family and the state yeah. and say, hey, we got the guy. They're behind yeah. bars. We're satisfied. Yeah. This was a case where they, they grabbed a kid who knew Damian Eccles. Not, Jesse Miss Kelly was not, like, a, a great friend of his. Jesse Miss Kelly is kind of special needs. Um, like very, he was operating he was, at like a fifth grade level. He was like 16. They brought him in there without his father. Right. And interrogated him for eight hours. And it's, if you listen to the tape, it is one of the most clearly coerced confessions. All of the information that Jesse Miss Kelly provides is provided seconds earlier by a cop. Like none of its original thoughts. He's just saying what they want him They'll to say. They'll be like, hey, Jesse, I know you said earlier that uh, Damien uh, didn't have a cross dagger, but. He, he did have a cross dagger, right? And just to be like, yeah, I, I want to go home. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll let you go as soon as you know. you know. Yeah, as soon as you tell us what is... you need to know. And they, they railroaded this kid into a plea bargain that was like, well, you'll get life in prison, but they'll get death. And yeah. that's, what we, that's what we want. And, um, and this happens. This isn't like a, a one-off case. This happens all the time where yeah. innocent people who get proven out later get railroaded because well, they... Well, so then, then you have a case on the opposite side, for me, making a murderer. Yeah. Um, that dude did it. Stephen Avery? Yeah. Like, I'm convinced, after watching all the everything that I've seen of it, that he absolutely not only did it, but, like, that he was a scumbag piece of shit. Roped his, his nephew into helping him and fucked that kid's entire life. Yeah. Um, and I... Maybe I'm wrong about that. I would feel really bad if I ever met the dude and he got exonerated yeah. or whatever. But like based on everything I saw, had a relationship with the person for auto trader before any of the murders happened. Yeah. Violent history. His girlfriend's fiance in the first part of the documentary in the second part hates him. Hmm. Won't talk to him and says like, I don't believe him anymore. I don't believe anything he says. So that's just sensationalism for the sake of sensationalism. Yeah. I hate that shit. I hate what's wrong with Aunt Diane for the same reason, because all it is, is, Hey, Let's open the wound for everyone to see. Yeah, they're going to these these uh, family members who are broken people. Yeah, it's like six, completely. It, it's six yeah. months later. And you have to understand, the event of her doing that isn't where it ends. Right. Everyone, when they walk down the street, everyone knows that they're the family members. Yes. They don't know them personally, but they know them. You yes. know what I mean? By reputation. Everything you hear... Everything that you do, oh, 
that's that guy, you know? Like, right. Everyone who looks at Forever. You, everyone who looks at you, oh, that, that, that's that guy. That's, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, no, you know like, and it, like, it ruins your life. A lot of these people move away and don't comment on it. Oh, except yeah. Except if they're trying to like sell a book. There's, there's another stepdad in Paradise Lost who gets accused pretty early on. Yeah. And I forget his name. Uh, real big guy. Yeah. And he goes out and he like burns a fake three graves and he's like Damien Eccles and Jesse Miss Kelly and what, whatever other guy's name is like you will burn in hell and like all this stuff. And then he got accused because um, there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, he was just a creepy dude. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, they basically figured out that no, he, he couldn't have done it. And um, he uh, ended up getting vilified by everybody. So they moved out of town mm. and this and that. Then his wife died, which put even more scrutiny on him, even though she just, like, had a heart attack or yeah. possibly an overdose uh, from a drug that well, he never found out what it was. Speaking of, uh, you know, satanic panic, this happened recently. Um, there was a documentary about a woman who stayed in the Cecil Hotel and got, uh, like, somehow trapped in, in the water tower. Dude, that one freaks me the fuck yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. But, but... Um, there was one guy staying at the hotel who was, like, into black metal and, like, you know, which shit. So they shit. went right after him. They went after him, even though he wasn't there at the time. And it's proven, proven. But, like, these armchair, like, detectives yeah. want to go after him. And they basically ruined his life. Well, dude, do you remember what happened when um, the Boston bombing happened with the Reddit yeah. thing? Yep. I was, I was around for that. And even then, I was like, just fucking guys, like, yeah. stop. I think they got a guy killed. Because that brown student, he either killed himself or he was thrown off the fucking uh, yeah, you know, bridge ruins, or whatever. It ruins your life. And for no reason. He didn't do anything. His name was yeah. uh, Sunil Tripathi, I think. Trip didn't do anything. Like, it, it, and it doesn't no. matter. Even when, because when the news reports it, they'll report the crime. Right. They, but they won't report that, like, oh, he's exonerated. Yeah. You know? Or if they do, it's on, like, the fifth page. Yeah, there's no there's no correction on the nightly yeah. news to say, oh, we, we messed this one up. And the, yeah, and even if they innocent, do correct it, then people they're still won't believe it. Yeah. They still won't believe Always. it, and your life Always. is ruined. Well... For no reason. I think the the broader point that I just want to get back around to, because we're, we're almost out of time, yeah. is just that there are, there are two types of true crime documentaries, in my view. There's the sensationalist, oh, we got to make money off this. There's Tiger King. Yeah. What the fuck is Tiger King? Um, and then there's the stuff like Paradise Lost that is necessary and it's shining a light onto some of the darkest shit humanity has to offer for a reason. There's the jinx, which was done because they wanted to nail this guy because yeah. he had never faced justice for what he did. No. Killed three people, got away with all three. One's, one's and, still and, missing. Yeah. And not only that, there are other people who they've connected to him. Hmm that they'll never get an answer on because he was never yeah. put up on trial for it. So, um, cause he died. Um, so the main thing, those are necessary. Yeah. And they, they shine a light. They're real journalism. They need to exist. Yeah. The other stuff, you know, something wrong with Aunt Diane, like whoever made that movie, go fuck yourself. Go fuck you yourself. You, you, all you did with was open a wound for a, a fucking child who went through one of the most traumatic things that a child could go through. He was laid on the grass and his cousins and sister were piled on top of him. They thought he was dead. And then he started moving and, and somebody was like, oh, my God. You don't get over that. You just don't. Not no. through therapy, not through your aunt coming in and being like, I'm your mom now. No. Like, and fuck that bitch. It stays Seriously. with you. It stays there's with a, you. There's then... a quote in that movie that is fantastic. It's from the, the daughter of the guy who was killed in the other crash, like in the other car. And um, she goes, you know, I have forgiven Diane. I uh, pray for her like I pray for all those girls. And I pray for, you know, my brothers and my father. The family I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, because, it, like, you know, and that little boy. The family I'm working on. Because the family, I, I don't know what this is. Like, just admit that she she was drunk. And we can all move on with our lives. That, things happen. Bad things happen. That's what a lot of people... Uh, survivors of stuff like that the family of the perpetrator can't seem to get over a lot of the time is yeah. like i knew this person they were great to me but they did this horrible thing right which is which is true in in situations we've seen in our personal like friend group of like 
oh, here are pictures of, of you know, the baby version of this person. They couldn't have done this terrible thing yeah. because, look, they're just a baby. Yeah. And it's like, well, as, you know, a 26 whatever year old adult, they uh, they did this thing. And you can't yeah. just wish that away by being like, oh, I wish for this simple no. time. You can you can remember how they were to you and still acknowledge the fact that what they did is fucked up and unforgivable. Yes. Yeah. And it takes a lot it takes a lot of mental and emotional fortitude to do that. I I think um yeah. I, I like where this conversation went. I did too. Uh one more thing I want to say. I want to pin put this down again. No? No? No, go ahead. I'm just kidding. We're we're way over time, but I don't, don't care. talk to the police. Don't talk to the police. Especially if you're innocent. Let me take this. Um Here's the thing about the police. I am not one of those all cops are bastards guys. Not quite. I do believe that a lot of cops are crooked. And I do believe that there's a lot of shit going on in this country, especially to people who have darker skin than me, that sucks about the police. But the key thing with the police is that the police are always trying to find a solution so that they can move away from whatever case it is. If they pick you up because you're acting suspicious in their eyes and they think that you have been somehow related to this thing, it doesn't matter if you didn't do anything, if you weren't there, this or that. They will find some way to nail you for it. If it's your confession, like it was with Jesse Miss Kelly, if it's circumstantial evidence that puts you near the crime, if you're telling them things and for whatever reason you went through a long couple of days or whatever, you remember it wrong and you say it a certain way, that's on the record. That's it. You you will spend the rest of your life trying to unexplain that. So what you do, I don't care if it's a public defender, I don't care if it's a, a lawyer from the, you know, the very top of the legal profession. You get yourself a lawyer and you shut the fuck up. Use your Fifth Amendment and say you are using your Fifth Amendment. Yes. You do not have to tell them anything. It is a cop's job to find the truth in a situation and if they're trying to take the easy way out pin it on you even though you didn't do anything it doesn't matter if you didn't do anything they are going to try and pin it on you and they're going to do it every time because that's what they're there to do they are there to honestly at the, you look at everything with cops they are there to keep the streets safe in their mind taking a murderer off the streets is keeping the streets safe and in some cases it doesn't matter if it's taking the murderer off the street or if it's just saying we got the murderer and not really taking that guy off the street, putting somebody else away and saying, hey, we got him. Yeah. Here's the evidence, this and that. You see all these crimes overturned by DNA evidence now that this guy spent 30 years in jail. This guy died in jail 50 years ago. We found out that he he never was even there. He, he never even did it. Doesn't matter. It's all circumstantial. You need a lawyer because you don't speak cop. Lawyers do. That's that's what it is. Even if it's a public defender and you don't pay a dime, get a fucking lawyer. Get a fucking lawyer. Don't say a fucking word. That's it. That's all I got. Comes from the heart. This has been Don't Start Me Talking. I'm Rick Owens. I'm Benny Williams. And uh, shut the fuck up. Stupid. Don't fucking don't fucking talk to cops. I mean, if like there's like I don't know if there's like a cop. And you're you're walking down the street. You can go like, oh, yeah, yeah. just like you would with anybody else if you make eye contact. Just like, oh, that's a... yeah, fucking forget that you exist. What?